My purpose is to talk about what's happening now and about a little bit of what I think is going to happen when your servants, the Texas legislature, come to town in Austin in uh, January on the second Tuesday of 2007. What we took on in 97 and 99 is bringing three laws together and putting them under the Advanced Directives Act. Natural Death Act, which was the old living will law, the beautifully named, obviously by attorneys, Durable Power of Attorney for Health Care, which now, of course, is the Medical Power of Attorney, and then the Out-of-Hospital Resuscitation Act. Different statutes, different chapters in the code, different codes, so that lawyers had problems doing a decent job of making the law work, and we brought it together. This is the old Durable Power of Attorney. An attending physician is not subject to civil or criminal liability, nor engaged in unprofessional uh, conduct. When the act is done in good faith, in accordance with the durable power of attorney and the directives of the agent and the law, and does not constitute failure to exercise due care. The old law read, a physician or health facility that causes life-sustaining procedures to be withheld or withdrawn is not civilly liable for that action unless negligent. That was the old law. So in other words, same thing you've been taught all along, negligent standard for liability. At the time we were working on this, there had never been in Texas a physician sued, much less successfully sued, for wrongful life, for ignoring the patient's wishes, when my time comes, let me go, but instead, simply ignoring that and going ahead and continuing to treat against the patient's indicated wishes, or the, or the surrogate's indication, indicated wishes. So, why would a physician ever follow the patient's wishes to let me go? Unless he really bent over backwards and didn't figure there'd be a problem. Any suspicion, I ignore the patient's directive. We changed that to read on the new language, a physician or health facility that in good faith causes the procedures to be withheld or withdrawn is not civilly liable. All you have to do is act in good faith. You can even be negligent so long as you act in good faith. Well, we had one other little problem in, seven, in 97. That was the, the, the liability thing was the only major issue that was changed. But this one jumped up. Representative John Longoria out of San Antonio speaking on behalf of the Catholic bishop in San Antonio and against the wishes and indications of the Catholic Health Facilities Association, he offered the following amendment. If failure to comply with the treatment decision would in reasonable medical judgment be likely, in, uh, likely result in death of the patient, physician must comply with it pending the completion of the transfer. So Richard's on the phone trying to get his patient transferred. No one answers the phone on the other end, in essence. So the transfer is never completed. Then what? Never can withdraw. 
That's what the law would mean. We fought it on the floor. Long story short, we stripped the, long, the Longoria Amendment went on the bill because no one had wanted to be, uh, have a voting record against it because it would be used against them. We used some technical hanky-panky and stripped it off in conference committee, and the bill went to Bush without this language on it. But Bush vetoed. And he said several provisions would permit a physician to deny life-sustaining procedures to a patient who desires them. Physicians denying life-sustaining treatments to patients who desired them. I'll come back to that. The second one was the negligence issue. And... The right to life movement is extremely powerful and influential in the Republican Party. Carl Rove, I have no doubt that Carl, since he and I see, see a lot of things eye to eye, that Carl advised him, it's not worth it. So he vetoed the bill at the request of right to life. Turned out he may have made the right decision politically. Y'all may not remember this, but he almost lost the Republican nomination in New Hampshire and only rescued it in very conservative South Carolina with support of the religious right. In other words, my bill and my veto helped elect George Bush president. Well, okay. Remember this language? Life-sustaining that a patient who desires them and remember the Longoria language? We, after the veto at Right to Life's request, what did I do? What could we do? We decided that if Right to Life was going to oppose our legislation on their theories and their philosophy, then why not bring them inside the room and have them sit down and argue their case to us, defend their case, talk good, make good law, have their input, and influence the law. And we did. And it's slow, and it was painful, and the medical community, and the hospital facilities, and right to life slugged it out back and forth. And bottom line, lo and behold, with the governor's office also invited, I also invited them to sit and watch so that they would have a stake in it. Lo and behold, we passed the bill. Once again, through the legislature, no problem. And these are the things that we, we did. For the first time in history, a directive became legally binding upon you all. Up to a point. We'll get to that point. For the first time, a patient could now say, instead of don't, you know, let me go when my time comes, and that patient can now say, when my time comes, please keep trying. The liability standard, we backed off of good faith and went to what reasonable care, which is, as I say, sort of like liability. Then the last one is the .046 procedure that Richard explained to you all and is the subject of the debate now. Uh, we took language from the old Natural Death Act when we worked on the transfer. And uh, as you see, a patient of before we passed our law, physician not civilly, criminally, or liable, civilly or criminally liable for failing to effectuate a directive. Now it's enforceable. Not by a lawsuit, not by criminal action, 
but by action against your license. For example, it would be a hearing for disciplinary action by the Board of Medical Exam. Uh, pardon me, now it's the Texas Medical Board after last session. And then here is the language before our bill. If a physician refuses to comply, the situation that Richard describes, shall make a reasonable effort to transfer the patient to another physician. Lawyers love reasonable, because what's reasonable to me is not reasonable to you. In 2003, we did the little cleanup bill that I mentioned to you. Last session, there's something in the legislature called the 60-day rule. Our Constitution in Texas says, the first 60 days shall be for the consideration of emergency bills and for the free introduction of legislation. After the first 60 calendar days, there's a cutoff and no more bills get introduced. I got a call on about the 62nd day from my friend Tom Mayo, the, the professor, as I call him, and the professor says, Hooser, better lucky than smart. We don't have any bills. Later on, about a month later, Shavo explodes on the national scene he calls me again and said, we don't know how lucky we really were because we don't have any and can't have any Shavo bills, almost. About three days before the end of the session, a big Medicaid bill is on the floor of the Texas House and the Hughes Amendment offered by Representative Brian Hughes, a Republican legislator from Marshall, offers this amendment. And bottom line, if you look at the third and fourth line, continued available life-sustaining treatment until the transfer is completed. There's other language in here. This is the Longoria Amendment restated eight years later. And it went on because no one noticed it. No one understood it. And once again, serendipity raised her lovely little head I was looking for an amendment that I was trying to get on the same bill for another client. And I couldn't tell whether it got on or not. So in the late afternoon, I, about the 26th of May, of May, I'm looking over the legislation and I see this amendment. Well, I better look at that. I took the position of saying the coalition opposes this language. I didn't even have the chance to compare it with the Longoria Amendment then. But I said, the law as it was needs to stay because the coalition, including Right to Life, signed off on it. And this tears up that agreement. Therefore, on behalf of the coalition, I must advise members of the, of the committee that we oppose it and we urge you to, take it, to strip it off the bill. We did the same thing with this amendment we did with the Longoria Amendment. It got stripped off in conference committee. But Representative uh, Diane DeLisi, Diane White DeLisi, as in Scott and White from Temple, a Republican who is chairman of the House Public Health Committee, and Senator Jane Nelson, a Republican from about a 90% Republican district, and chairman of the Senate Health Committee said, tell you what, I know we stripped this off because it didn't get debated, nobody talked about it, but we'll look at it in the interim. 
And that's what we're doing now. The House Public Health Committee's interim charge is assess if patients and or their loved ones have a sufficient opportunity to obtain transfer to an alternative facility and subsequent care in end-of-life situations. I can interpret that narrowly, but I guarantee you the legislature is going to interpret it broadly, as the committee will, so everything about our transfer law is at stake, fundamentally. The letter that Right to Life sent to the Senate conferees over the Hughes Amendment said, it, inadequately, it is inadequately effective at guaranteeing a patient's right to receive life-sustaining treatment. Now, notice the interesting word, right. To a lawyer, that is a very important word, right. As was earlier discussed, with the exception, and somebody set this up beautifully, my compliments to the organizers. There's only one right to health care in the law. Right. And that is EMTALA. Only in EMTALA does one have the right to medical examination and treatment to determine if you have an emergency condition. That's it. I cannot walk up to Dr. Castriotti and say, all right, you're going to treat me. You get a choice whether to accept a physician-patient relationship. Further, never in history that I'm aware of has a patient ever enjoyed the right to dictate to you how you shall treat me. In the entire history of your profession, ladies and gentlemen, no one has ever said that you have a duty to treat someone against your ethics in fact, you have a strong ethical commitment not to harm. Do no harm. First rule of medicine. Even we lawyers know that. But that says right. That theoretically taken to its ultimate conclusion means that a patient has the right to dictate how you treat the patient. And that's wrong. Here's the decision. Here's what we have sort of what's facing us. One of our members said, this is what happens when the limits of medical science and the medical ethics that govern your actions collide with the family's expectation. Remember Richard's list of reasons why families did what they did? And their values. How do you resolve that collision more importantly, how do you resolve it in a positive fashion? In the book, Wrong Medicine, 1995, just after the famous Cruzan case in which the Supreme Court for the first time said, I have the right to refuse treatment. Not just the right to con informed consent that you all know about, but an individual, each of us has the right to refuse treatment. Makes sense. Part of the right to privacy. And given that situation, Schneiderman, MD, and Jecker put it this way, and I think it's a beautiful way when you're discussing this issue, particularly as the press 
keeps bringing these issues up and as the attorneys continue to take this to the press and they will continue you answer the simple question I understand the situation I am a compassionate physician my ethical duty and all my training says I am to heal I am to make the patient better or you see this last line uh, well that's the next one we'll come to the last to the next one in a minute the point is you can say and the message gets across when you say do I as a physician owe the patient a miracle my answer and I think the answer that any logical person has to say is no you don't owe a miracle you owe your patient the best care you can provide but you don't owe a miracle now right to last position is said physician shouldn't be permitted to impose your value judgments that a life is not worth living against the view of the patient whose life it is or the family who, who uh, speak for the patient magic words here again we lawyers are real picky value judgment what right to life says they're saying is that a physician should not make a decision based on life uh, regarding life-sustaining treatment it's withholding or it's withdrawal on the basis of the physician's values of the physician's judgment regarding the quality of life of the patient what they're saying is medical judgments only don't play, impose your life value judgments on the patient only your medical judgment now Schneiderman will tell you and and this is part of what Jenny has to wrestle with and work with you all on is and you know this it's not that simple to separate the two Schneiderman even says there has to be a qualitative element or component to your judgment but the medical aspect should dominate <sighs> this is Schneiderman's definition of what needs to be done in terms of or the definition of medical futility he says first of all you really can't define it but this is the closest I can get the unacceptable likelihood that's the quantitative aspect of achieving a therapeutic benefit a positive and that gets a little on the qualitative side for the patient he says that's the fundamental element I have to be a professional optimist because my job is to bring all the parties together and knock something out I am an optimist in truth and I believe we're going to resolve this thing I think we're going to resolve it in a fashion that will be acceptable to your profession and that will benefit your patients it is going to be a painful process however I think the legislature is going to do it for one reason no one can afford to lose if you remember that then you'll agree with me we'll probably get it resolved that's it thank you